Let's get into the word. Genesis chapter 42. I started thinking about that letter that I shared with you that I got from somebody that I had um, partnered in ministry with and had a falling out. And um, that was like 20, almost 25 years ago. And I started thinking, you know, John and I are married 20 years coming up this summer. And um, I started thinking this church here has been here for 23 years. I started thinking of that number 20. It was like a lot can happen in 20 years, right? A lot can happen um, in the course of two decades. Um, A lot of water flows under the bridge, right? In 20 years, you can get married and start a family. In 20 years, you can start a career and become very successful. Or you could start a career and realize, I don't want to do this for a living. In 20 years, you can build an empire. You can become incredibly wealthy. Some people in 20 years go from nobody knowing them whatsoever to the the height of popularity and everybody in the world knows them. A lot is forgotten and never mentioned again. And some things are never mentioned, but they are never forgotten either. Here's one thing you can do, you cannot do in 20 years. You cannot erase a guilty conscience. You cannot erase a guilty conscience. The conscience is an odd thing. It's the moral barometer of the heart that senses when we have done something wrong. Everyone has one. Some people there might be a little broken or skewed, but we all have one. And it's not a matter of religion or education or geography or ethnic origin. If you are a member of the human race, you were born with a conscience. It's part of God's original design for mankind. You get a conscience by virtue of simply being born. In most cases, our conscience is a good gift because our conscience can keep us out of trouble, right? But it's not infallible. It's not the same as the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't have the power to compel our behavior. Conscious is like a streetlight that flashes green and yellow and red. Now you can still run the red light if you wish, but you know that you've done something wrong, right? Mark Twain once uh, said this, a clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. He's right about that, right? But it's possible to have a seared conscience, right? And if we go long enough and we try hard enough, we can quell the voice of our own conscience. We can suppress it and bury it and sear it so that we don't feel that pain of guilt anymore. What once seemed wrong doesn't seem so bad anymore. What once kept us awake at night doesn't seem to bother us anymore. What once made our cheeks blush with shame hardly even enters our mind. Someone compared the conscience to a sundial, which is able to give a fairly good time by day when the sun is out shining, but once the light goes away, it's incapable of telling us the time. In the same way, the conscience is designed by God to function in the light of God's word. But subtract the light, and the conscience is left in the dark. Completely dysfunction, 
dysfunctional. As we open to Genesis 42, we meet again the brothers of Joseph, who long ago put the sundial of their soul in the dark. These brothers are a study in what happens when you cross the line with your conscience, when you ignore its warnings and you shake off the guilt that it inflicts on you. Long decades have passed since the jealous hatred of Joseph's brothers boiled over and in a moment of incredible wickedness, they sold him into slavery to a group of passing merchants. Now, as far as we know, these brothers never repented of their terrible evil that they had done on that day. Not to God, not to their father, and certainly not to Joseph. Now, they just did what we tend to do when we have a guilty conscience that we are unwilling to deal with. We pretend like nothing ever happened, right? When we don't want to deal with that guilty conscience, we just ignore it. We suppress all thoughts of that action, we press the guilt down, and we try to live our lives. But today in our scripture passage, everything is about to change for these brothers because guess what? The sun is out. And it is shining on their guilty conscience. And that true repentance um, that, that they really need to have, that they really need to do, that true repentance of... Um, of the soul that they need to do because of what they did to Joseph is about to take place in their life. We're going to look at our scripture passage found in Genesis 42, and it's a long one, but we have to read it. We're actually even going to break. Um, the, the story takes place over chapter 42, 43, 44, and 45. So if, unless you want to have like a 12-week series just on these next five chapters, then we're going to have to read all of this and just break it up into three or four different um, sections. So here we go. Uh, wait, where we left off last week, where'd we leave off? Anybody remember? Yes. That's right. So we left off where Joseph was now in charge of the grain, right, of, uh, of the, the supplies. And he um, is preparing for the famine to come. Okay, and uh, um, the brothers uh, went to Egypt, right? Did the brothers go to Egypt last week when we talked? No. They had not gone. Oh. So we ended with him talking to Pharaoh about the, the, uh, the dreams, and, and he's been now placed in charge of the, all the grain, Correct. Yes, the world, all the world was going to come to him because of the grain that he kept. Okay, here we go. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, so the famine has take, started to take place, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Who's Benjamin? Joseph's real full brother, his only full brother, born of the same mother. Joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, 
the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him. Remember the dream that Joseph had? They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dream about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Who's the one who is no more? The one they're talking to. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will keep in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Why do they think this is happening? Conscience. Their guilty conscience. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. The sun has come out on their sundial. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. So all the while, Joseph has been using an interpreter to talk to them, but he can understand them and they don't know it. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then came, so why did he weep? Because of what they were saying, right? Realizing that their conscience has been awoken. So he turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? A guilty conscience again. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. And they said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us 
and he treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of, the fa of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving household and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Why were they frightened? They're going to get arrested. They, right. Yeah, what happened? They're going to think we stole it, right? Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Thanks, Reuben. <laughs> Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. I love that he says he's the only one left when there is, a, you know, ten other. Um, if harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. All right, so nine years have passed since we left off last week. Last week, the, the, they were preparing uh, during the seven years so that we had the seven years of uh, abundance. Um, Joseph's been the prime minister for these seven years. Everything happened exactly as he said it would. The seven good years were very good indeed. And while this story takes place, they are now two years into the famine. So it's taken two years for um, Joseph's family to run out of food. And um, it's getting so bad now that Jacob the father says, you need to go to Egypt and you need to buy some food. So the story of what happens um, and unfolds takes place. It spans the next four chapters, um, chapters 42 through 45. And everything that happens in the next four chapters can rest on one reality. And that reality is that Joseph's brothers had no idea that he was still alive. And their guilty conscience was being uh, woken up, right? They had tried to put it to sleep and God was waking it up. They thought he had been dead for years. So when they stood before him, and he was wearing Egyptian clothing, Egyptian dress, and he was speaking in Egyptian through an interpreter, they had no idea who he really was. Now, it apparently never crossed their mind that this might be their long-lost brother because to them, he wasn't long-lost. What was he? Dead. He was dead. He was dead. What they don't know is that he was very much alive and God was about to make them face up to what they had done to him some 20 years earlier. So what we have in Genesis chapters 42 through 45 is a series of tests that God uses to awaken the guilty conscience of these brothers and to bring them to true repentance so that they can have true reconciliation with their brother. Okay? So today I want to point out three tools that God used on these men to prick their conscience and bring them back into uh, a, a spiritual awakening. 
So these three tools that God used um, on these men, he uses on us today. He hasn't changed his methods. He still uses the same methods. Why change them? They work, right? <laughs> so we're going to talk about these three tools that God used on uh, the, the brothers of Joseph, and they are used on us today. See if you can't find where God has used these tools in your own life. So the first tool that God used to unmute our conscience is barrenness or famine. In Genesis 42, the entire known world is experiencing a famine. And we have already studied how God in his wisdom and power has positioned Joseph as the prime minister of Egypt and has assigned him to organize um, the oversight of the distribution of food. So we've already looked at that. But as chapter 42 opens, we're back in Canaan with Jacob and his sons. And the cupboards are looking bare. Isn't there an um, old mother, mother goose, old mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her poor dog a bone? When she got there, she found the cupboard was bare. Well, that's what happened. Uh, so the poor doggy had none, yes. So you can change that to Jacob and his sons, and he realized we are going to starve if we don't do something. And when Joseph or Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his son, why do you just sit and look at each other? I heard there was grain for sale. I find that interesting. Why do you sit and look at each other? I think there was a discussion about Egypt happening. Jacob saying, there is grain for sale in Egypt. And at that point, the guilty conscience, where did they sell? They sold their brother to be sold as a slave. Where? In Egypt. And now they're all looking at each other. We don't like Egypt. We don't even want to talk about Egypt. Don't even say that word, right? And the father says, why are you guys looking at each other? Go to Egypt and get us some food. Verse 3 says, So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, because he was now the favorite, because he thought Joseph was dead, right? There it is. The first and perhaps most common tool that God uses to stir a uh, deadened conscience, he makes us needy. There was a need. They had to act because there was a need in their life. He sends barrenness into our lives at some point, and he makes us empty. Have you ever been there? Some of you are there right now, right? There's a famine in your spiritual life. That's how he awakens our conscience. He deprives us of something, and he subtracts from our lives things that we depend on for comfort, for ease. And that stirs a sense of spiritual lack in our life. There is a harrowing verse in Psalm 106 in which the psalmist describes how Israel forgot the works of, that God had done for them. And they forged ahead with their own desires, right? They, they were tired of waiting on God. They forged ahead with their own desires and plans rather than wait for God. So they pushed God's will aside. They did their own thing. And verse 15 declares that God gave them their request but sent leanness to their soul. Sometimes God will give us over to what it is that we want, but he will put a leanness in our soul. The comfort 
of food and home was taken from these brothers. There was a famine. They had to journey to find a solution. And where did they have to go? They had to go to Egypt. Of all places, the very country to which those slave merchants took Joseph after they had sold him. When Egypt came up, Jacob said, why are you looking at each other? I, th- I can't help but think about the prodigal son. It's, God uses this physical need to quicken a sense of, of spiritual need. And he did that in the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son who took his inheritance and squandered it away and found himself wishing that he had the food that the pigs he was, you know, slopping had. He squandered it away. The story says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You know, Jesus tells us that it was right there with the pigs, that God pierced his conscience, that the sun was shining on the sundial of his conscience, and it was awoken. So this is a turning point for him when he rose in repentance, and he went home, and he had reconciliation with the Father, right? The second tool that God uses to unmute our guilty conscience is pain. These are fun tools, right? Uh Barrenness, famine, pain. The top ten, yeah. I I will say this, that when God begins a work in us, he often uses these painful things first before he pours his blessing out. We have to get to the point of repentance before we can receive the the blessings and the goodness of God, right? So this is part of the process. So we go now to that fateful day where these hardened brothers are uh, facing Joseph in Egypt. They don't know it's him, but they're facing him. And verses 6 and 7 tell us that Joseph's brothers came and they bowed before him, their faces to the ground. And I'm sure when they did that, immediately in Joseph's mind, he thought of the dream that he had some 20-something years ago, right? That he told his brothers that angered them so much that they would one day bow before him. Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers, and he spoke roughly to them. Now, verses 8 to 11 add that Joseph's brothers did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had had, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to seek uh, the, the weaknesses in our land. And they said, No, my Lord, we are honest men. I wonder if Joseph wanted to go, Pah! Right? We are honest men. But Joseph maintained his accusation. He put his brothers in prison for three days, and then he ordered them to select one of their members to remain in custody while the other nine returned home to bring the youngest son back as proof of their honesty. Why did he want them to bring the youngest son back? 
of his brother. There are more details to the story, but let me stop here and ask the question again. Why this elaborate ruse? Why did he, some people say, trick the brothers? Why did Joseph hide his identity, drum up these charges, and go to all this trouble? Why didn't he just turn the tables and cut to the chase? Some people are bothered by the fact that Joseph didn't do that immediately because he was a man of God. They're bothered by that, some, some people. He's torturing him. I thought that at first. When I first read it, I was like, oh, he's getting back. And then, there you go. It's all part of it. He wants to help them in the long run. What? He wanted to see their trueness. Very good. Or whether they cut off another brother and not care about him. Oh, there you go. Again, all of these are, are correct. Yes. God was working through him in this um, behavior to bring them to true repentance. Yes, all of these are right. All of them are correct. Um, some people, some co- uh, even commentators and, and um, religious teachers believe that this was wrong for Joseph to behave that way. And they say, you know, why didn't he just say I'm your brother and show them God's grace in that moment? But the answer comes in three really um, uh, important parts, and you've all touched on them. The first is that Joseph was speaking and acting as a prophet from God. He was the mouthpiece of God in this situation, and he wasn't just interested in their physical well-being. He was also interested in their spiritual well-being. Remember, he said that he was going to throw them all in prison and only send one back, but he only kept one and sent them all back. Why? Because he wanted to make sure they took enough food for the rest of the family. Because so, he knew they were starving, and if he kept them all, one could not carry back all that food for the family. As he spoke to them, he was being led by the Lord in what he should say. His accusation of them being spies might have been the very thing they said to him. Remember that day that they threw him in the cistern? They saw him coming, and they started heckling him. Right? The fa- Joseph's father said, go check on your brothers. I don't think it's the first time that he's ever done that, Right? So Joseph's looking for the brothers. He finally finds the brothers. He's walking down the path, and the brothers start heckling him. Oh, there's that guy, the coat of many color guy, you know. Dad's favorite. I wonder if he said to that, if the brothers said to him, what are you, spying for dad? Right? And now Joseph says, you're spies. Maybe it was kind of pricking their conscience a little bit. I believe Joseph was being used by God as a tool to inflict pain on the brothers, but pain with a purpose. Think about it. The only way for a real restoration of their broken relationship to happen is to move these sin-hardened men to a place where they can begin to soften their hardened hearts and begin anew on a, a clean footing In order to do that, he had to break their defenses. Look at how this time of suffering affected these brothers in verses 21 and 22. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. 
That is why this distress has come to us now. So they recognized that the pain they were experiencing was because of the pain they had caused so many years ago. All these circumstances aligned themselves to connect the consequences of their sin. The second reason that Joseph spoke to them this way is because Joseph wanted to see the family, the whole family, put back together again. Joseph wanted true reconciliation, not just repentance, but reconciliation with his family. And through all the years in Egypt and during his years of rise to power, he never forgot his family, his true family. He never stopped thinking about his brothers. He never stopped thinking about his, his father. And he never disowned the family of his birth. Remember, we talked last week, he named his children Hebrew names. Deep down in his heart, Joseph wasn't an Egyptian. He was still a Hebrew, still the son of Jacob, still part of the family that he longed to see and be reconciled with. He was still Hebrew in his heart. If he just gave them food and sent them on their way, there would be no reconciliation. But that required a change of heart. So he had to get some questions answered. One, do they still hate me? Right? Two, are they going to own up to what they did? Three, have they truly repented? Four, do they even want me to be a part of their family again? Those are some hard questions. So Joseph took a long, uh, the, the long, hard road of um, concealing his true identity so that his brothers could reveal their own hearts to him. And he wanted them back in his life, but the question was, did they want him back in their life? And the third reason was that God was using Joseph to turn the heat up on their sin. Sometimes God needs to act harshly in order to mercifully convict us of our sin. And that conviction leads to repentance. King David made this connection when he said in Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your words. Right? David's sin led to affliction, which turned him to repentance and a renewal of obedience to God's word. Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 11 speaks of God's um, hard hand upon us when we sin. And this is what happens when we sin in our life. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hard circumstances aren't always proof of past sins. Don't get me wrong. If you're going through a difficult time, it doesn't mean that you've sinned. I'm not saying that. But if hard times have come into your life, it's a great time to take a look within. And to say, as the psalmist said, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yes, many people suffer innocently, but don't use that as an argument or an excuse to try and turn off your conscience. If we are guilty, God isn't going to let us escape. Trouble, heartache, loss, and pain can be God's messenger to us. 
So God tightened the noose with one more tool. Let's look at that last one, and that is testing. He even used the word testing. I'm going to test you. Joseph was wise to test his brothers and to watch and to wait and see if they were indeed honest men, as they had said, if they were changed men. And it was the claim that they were honest men that Joseph set his sights on, right? He said, oh, you're honest men? And then verse 19, he said, if you are honest men, then let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. So in verse 31, Joseph's brothers retell the story to their father back at home and they say to him, but we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. And in verse 33, they tell their father of the agreement that they made. I'm sure at this point, Jacob was not happy. He said, then the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take the grain uh, for the famine to your household and go your way. And then he adds on and bring the youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies and that you are honest men. So the word honest appears five times in Genesis 42. I think Joseph is hoping they are honest. I th he's hoping for reconciliation. Once the brothers claim to be honest, and, and four times in regard to Joseph testing them about their honesty is the word honest mention. That word honest in Hebrew means to be upright or righteous. So these brothers were Claiming, weren't claiming to be men <clears throat> who told the truth. They were claiming to be upright men of integrity. It was a spiritual word they were using. So Joseph decided to put their integrity to the test. And we know that Joseph was testing his brothers because he says so. By this, I'm going to test you. So Joseph didn't tempt his brothers. His aim was to test them. And there's a big difference. I, I believe he wanted them to be found true and not false. If his desire was that they perish, if his desire was for revenge, then he could have just put them in prison or killed them right there, then and there. The testing was in hopes that they would be proved true and righteous. Now, this is really important. I want you to listen to this. Okay, you ready? The difference between temptation and testing is temptation has failure as its goal, and testing has success as its goal. Temptation aims to do harm, that's from the enemy, but testing aims to prove and strengthen and refine us, and that comes from the Lord. Amen. Satan tempts us in hope of us failing, but God tests us so that our faith might be strengthened. So God used these three tools of barrenness, this pain, this testing, to unmute the guilty conscience. And it did, right? Because they even spoke it out. They said, this is because of what we did so many years ago. I want to point out, just in closing, um, two key turning points in Genesis chapter 42. <clears throat> um, the first turning point for these brothers comes after they spend three days in this Egyptian prison. And listen to what they say in, in verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul. 
when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come to us. There's a turning point. They have acknowledged that what they did was wrong. So the first turning point is they confessed their sin. What's the first step in recovery? Admit. You could sum it up with one word, admit. Admit you did something wrong. Admit that you're not okay. Admit that you are out of control. They admitted. During the three days that they spent in prison, the Holy Spirit was at work in them. I find it interesting that what they remembered, not just that they hated him, not just that they plotted against him, not just that they betrayed him, not just that they threw him into a pit, they remembered his screams from the pit. They remembered that he was scared and in pain. And while they ate their meal, no doubt, laughing and joking, they could hear him crying out for help. His screams were engraved into their memory. So that two decades later, it all came back up to the surface. Though painful, this was absolutely necessary. The Holy Spirit was connecting their past with their present. If you want to get better, the first step is always to stop blaming others and say, I was wrong. I have a problem. Or I am the problem. The second turning point happened on the way back home when they discovered the silver that uh, was in their grain sacks. And this is what it says. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? They recognized God's hand at work in this. That's the second turning point, right? We confess our sins and we acknowledge that God is at work in our life. And this is huge because it's the first time that these brothers ever mention God's name. And all the evil that they had done in the past, God was pushed to the edge so that they wouldn't have to think about him. Now at last, they have to admit the truth. First, they had to admit their sin. And then they had to admit that God was at work in their life. God's spirit never left them alone, even during those long years in Canaan when they thought that Joseph was dead. They remembered Joseph's screams from the pit, and they remembered what they had done to their brother. So the passage of time doesn't erase our guilt. We can try and suppress it, right? We can try and cover it up with other things. But God is still at work in our lives, and he's orchestrating and putting things into place. So when the time is right, he will awaken your guilty conscience and have you repent of the sin and be reconciled to God the Father. So next week, we're going to pick up this magnificent story by looking at how this once dysfunctional, angry family is uh, set on to the path of healing. And um, we're going to see how God's plan, um, as it worked, not, not just in their lives, but for the coming ages. 
their reconciliation is, is God's work for the coming ages. But for now, I close with a few questions for you to ponder. First, do you have a wayward child whose conscience seems to be so seared by sin that they won't listen anymore? Or maybe it's not your child, but your sibling, your spouse, your coworker, your parent. Pray with a new confidence that God knows how to get their attention. God knows. He has a toolbox full of ways that he can awaken their guilty conscience. Do you know somebody who has lost and shows no interest in the Lord? Pray for them. And then what about you? Are you under the the hard hand of God right now because he's trying to awaken your conscience to something that you have done wrong or that you are doing wrong, that he wants you to confess, to give to him, and be reconciled to him? Just like the prodigal son, Jesus is beckoning you to come home. Amen? May the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. Be good.